Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grab a seat. Who's uh, concerned about AI? Anybody? Right? Artificial intelligence. Getting closer and closer. I think the goal is, in fact, we're now doing machine learning. So the machine learns itself to be independent, to think for itself, etc., and we're getting warning signs by people across the board. And I guess we should be scared. The reason why I'm scared is not because AI might be uh, separated from human beings, but because it's made by human beings. Scares me, (laughs) right? I don't think I'm any more scared of AI than I am of the people that made AI, people. But that's the idea behind it is making something, I, I think, if you think, I think that's our impulse to create artificial intelligence, a, a robot or computer that can think for itself, to replicate us, to be in our image, to do things that we can't do instead of us, or it's too dangerous to do, or do it faster, or whatever. But to replicate us, to be to have an image of us that maybe doesn't get sick, that can think quicker, that can accomplish the tasks we want to do better. But ultimately, ultimately the goal, artificial intelligence, is to create a new thing in our image. We see that today. Chapter 1 of Genesis. That impulse, perhaps, comes from our Father. Although I, like I said, don't really trust AI, not because of AI, but because of the image in which it's created, you, me. But God uses the same language in chapter 1 here. He creates all things six days. On the sixth day, he creates the animals on the ground, But the finale, very clearly, according to Moses, according to God, in this order is the human being. It's the last thing that he makes. After he makes everything, he says, it is good. He looks at it. It's good. When when God says good, see, he doesn't use superlatives like great. He doesn't need to. There's good and there's bad for God. Creation is good. Let me throw this out at you. It is the best of all possible worlds if God makes something, unless you think that God sort of makes okay things. So the finale is this, and he says this. He doesn't say this about any other creature. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now, today's Holy Trinity 
the celebration or examination of what that means. And you see right here in the very first text, the very first words of this, who is this God, if you're, as you're learning, beginning at the beginning of the Bible, you see a hint, don't you, of this one God, three persons, us, our, a conversation within himself. It is not a lonely God. And I'm going to throw this out because I hear this all the time. God did not make people because he was lonely. That's insane. Anyhow, get that out of your head. You're not that special. No, anyhow. That's, oh, okay. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, this is puzzled. Not puzzled, but exactly what that means is a debate among theologians for the last 2,000 years or more. Because you'll hear that conversation among the Israelites, et cetera, and rabbis, et cetera. What does that mean in his image? If you ask any little person, uh, the first thing they would probably say, and by little people I mean you, would be intelligence. I've met a lot of people. Uh, I don't know if we're that much more intelligent than monkeys, if you think about it, right? The decision-making that goes on, dumb. You know, I'm just throwing that out. <laughs> so I don't know if intelligence is what made it as image is. It might be a part of it, this rational, this logic, and use of logic and connection of things and all that sort of stuff. It seems to be much greater in human beings than it does in apes, although it's amazing what you can teach a monkey to do. So I don't think it's that, per se, logic or intelligence. It's not mobility. Animals can move. What is it? What do you think it is? What does it mean to be made in God's image? When God says this, what is he talking about? It's not look like God, I don't think. Physically, this is what God looks like. Could be, by the way. I would say it's not intelligence. We find the definition, I think, in the immediate job description that follows. Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God creates, by the way, not man, male, but human beings, what that word means, to be his image, his icon, his likeness, to replicate himself on the earth to have dominion, to do, be God in the world. Does that make sense? This is huge. And there we see that to be in his image is to be one that does good for the benefit of creation whether it's the animals, the grass, the greenery, the sea and the sky, whether it is your neighbor. We are here in his image to do God things to others, and what that means is not power and might. That's what we want. We want to think like that, or the Mormons, you know, that we're just going to be awesome and powerful. Start new. No, it means to care for others. Dominion, by the way, doesn't mean dominate but to care for, to manage for the best of what you are caring for. Like in the end, Christians are actually environmentalists in a strict sense. We are here with the job of caring for creation and for the neighbor. 
the disposition is what image means, I would say. Be made in his image, to be made to be one and equipped to be that one who cares for all creation in a service way and for one another out of, for the sake of good, right? God says this every time, it is good to be good to others and good to the world and create good. Are we doing this? Do you look around when you see human beings, you think of people who are in God's image? Because it doesn't look like it, does it? And by the way, a real side note, when God's creating something, for those that are always saying, oh, the Bible's patriarchal, or oh, the Bible's, uh, you know, it's a male-oriented, must have been written by men. Right from the, the beginning, chapter 1 of Genesis, God says something, you know, very interesting. He says, uh, Moses says, so God created man in his own image. By man, it means humanity. In the image of God, he created him. Okay. And then he says, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. When God thinks of humanity, he doesn't think of male and female as separate entities or unequal. That talk is not there in the very beginning. But that to be a human means to be a male or a female. More than that, though, not and or. But together as male and females, humanity, community. Do you notice this kind of language? Many and one together in unity. That's humankind. Get back to the image of God. This momentary, perfect moment Beautiful marriage, a male and a female getting along, and not just marriage, but community, Adam and Eve living in community and in harmony, being godlike in their good actions toward each other, lasted just about as long as any marriage does before sin comes into it, I'm sorry to say, <laughs> like maybe one second. I mean, for me, is Julie here? I mean, we, I was perfect for a little while, right? But then I screwed up, but... Uh, didn't last long. Quickly, what happens? Satan sees this community. He sees this, these creatures. He sees these people in God's image doing good, and Satan hates that God, and Satan wants to just affect it and destroy it and wreck it and corrupt it. That's what Satan wants to do. He has no more goal than that. Satan is the most, he completely has no long-term plan. Satan has no long-term plan. There is no plan. It is just destroy for the sake of destruction. And so he sees Adam and Eve living in harmony, everything going well, and that's where the temptation comes in, right? And he doesn't talk to both of them as one united group, as humanity. He separates and talks just to Eve and convinces her to no longer believe in God, that God cares for her or loves her, but instead to chase her own dreams Adam apparently needs no convincing because he eats it without even a conversation so they can be like God because they're not happy with where they're at. Do you know that feeling ever, by the way? And they steal from God, and at that moment their eyes are opened, and what was a beautiful unity where they're both naked and not ashamed is now destroyed and corrupted. And they feel it. And you know what that feeling is like. 
when you do something wrong and you feel a little less human, you feel a little ugly, when you do something wrong, let alone the person that you hurt. And so Adam and Eve hide from God because they're embarrassed and they are ashamed. And they no longer look like God and they know it, that something has changed, that they've lost something and they can never get it back. And then they also clothe each other, right? And they hide from one another. They're embarrassed. You can't be naked. You can't be vulnerable. You can't be yourself around each other anymore. You can't let down your guard. You need to watch your back. Sin enters the world. Ugliness enters the world. The image of God is corrupted, broken, tainted, stained. And in chapter 5, Moses writes, Adam and Eve had a child, and he was born in the image of Adam and his likeness. So from there on, human beings come out broken, corrupted, in the image of of a self-centered person that rebels against God and no longer looking to do good for others for the sake of goodness, to serve and to love others, but we are born wanting to serve ourselves. And the image of God was lost. I think this is very important. The debate of the day in Western culture is, what is a human being? And we're debating because we forgot. And we're debating it because we don't feel like human beings, special, or with God's image. And we're debating it because we look out into the world and we see people acting like animals, following their passions, because that's what it is. The basis of an animal is that which follows its instinct without even thinking. That's what we see, don't we? And we see war and rumors of wars and hatred and anger and all these things, and we see in our own lives. We are people with the image of God that is lost, and we've forgotten who we are. And we treat each other no longer as creations of God, but just uh, matter, carbon, stuff animals. The last couple hundred years, I have really loved this movement because I think it speaks to exactly what the problem is. It doesn't give us an answer. But we've seen a movement called deconstructionism or postmodern. That's kind of newish. What's another word? You know, uh, existentialism, etc. It kind of started with Nietzsche, really nailed it well. And that is that People, there is no you. There is no platonic ideal that you're trying to reach. Who knows? That you are just a bunch of different influences that have come and gone through you. And it started with the criticism of, of works of art, where it was no longer thought that we need to know what the author's intent was, we need to know where they're coming from to understand. No, it doesn't matter. Because he's just speaking out of all these influences that the world is scattered, people are fragmented, there is no consistent meaning to, to life and to what it means to be a person. 
And you can see this, I think, a little bit in cubism. Familiar with cubism, Pablo, Pablo Picasso, etc. Pablo Picasso says, the world's absurd. That's why my paintings don't make sense. I love it. I love it. I love modern art. I love deconstructionism. I love the literature that comes out of that, music, etc. Not because it gives the answer, but it absolutely gets the problem. The human beings are a multiple amount of fragments and feelings and emotions and passions because we've lost that image, that connection to God. So everything is broken. Even our bodies, our brains under sin are broken. That's why we can't quite think right. We kind of get ideas of logic, but we always will mess it up. Or we'll do something that we know is irrational, but we'll still do it. Today we see this in society with the identity crisis, right? And I mean across the board, people, who am I? And they're trying to find an answer to that, and they're following their feelings. My feelings want to do this. That must be who I am. Or I just don't like who I am, so I'm going to create something that I want to be. We live in a world now, if the world is deconstructed, if there is no you, if we can't be sure of anything, then we can construct our own identity. And society, we can tear it down and we can reconstruct it and however we want to, just like God made man his image, we can break it all down and we can create a world and we can create ourselves in our own image. And this is what is going on out there. And that's why Christians should be sympathetic. Because the world is broken and people are born broken and deconstructed and full of fragments and they're trying to piece it back together. And instead of judging it, should listen. Because it's a symptom of a deeper problem. Because sin does that. It separates and it breaks and it pushes you farther from truth and farther from reality and farther from who you are. People oftentimes say that there's victim, there's no such thing as a victimless sin or there is victimless sin, right? This can't be wrong because we live in the democratic philosophy and John Stuart Mill that if it doesn't hurt anybody, it's fine, right? It's not true. There is no such thing as victimless sin. When you do something wrong, even if it hurts nobody else, even if it's a thought, it hurts you. It makes you a little less than what you were. And you know this. That's what shame and that's what guilt is. It's an indication of feeling a little less than right, of righteous, of yourself. This is the world we live. These are the people out there fragments, fragmented, deconstructed, trying to piece it back together. Let us have mercy. And this is you, isn't it? You don't feel like a Christian all the time. You have ideas in your head that you know are wrong. You're a confusion of things, right? (laughs) Paul talks about it. I want to do this, but I'm doing this. There's two answers that we hear in the world from the left and the right. The left, usually, deconstruction, there is no truth, 
There is no you. Tear it down. You create what you want to do, and you have every right to do that by the will of power. If there is no truth, then might makes right, by the way. You remove truth, and power now is how you rule, which I believe will only see a more tribal warlord society when you remove truth. So that's one answer, is deconstruct it, trash it, create what you want to. But the right, if you will, and Christians, I think, end up having this answer, which is wrong too. Force it all back together. I'm going to make my life right, doggone it. I'm going to follow the law. I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to stop sinning, and I'm going to make everybody else stop sinning and fix this fragmented, broken world, right? You get it? One is destroy and let it be destroyed, and the other is force it back. Neither work. One is nihilism and desolate and chaos. The other is depression, because you're not going to fix yourself. You're not going to make the world right. You're not going to bring all the fragments back, and you're not going to restore the image of God. The answer is Jesus. Were you surprised by that, by the way? The answer is Jesus. God takes on flesh and becomes a human being. What does that mean? The image of God is restored to your bodies and your ancestry and your humanity. That's what Christmas means. And he does right in that flesh, and he does the will, the good, the will of God in his flesh, loving his neighbor, taking care of creation, have dominion as God meant it. He perfects our family history, our line. But not just to show us how to do it, but to give it to us. That's what baptism is. In baptism, God restores your image, puts his name upon you, and recreates you in the waters of baptism, in the washing away of your sins, and the unity into the resurrection of Jesus. He makes you a child of God, and he makes you whole. And that is our identity. That's why he says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Image of God restored on ZZ today. And not because she fixed it. God fixed it for her. Jesus did it for us and gives us that identity and welcomes us back into the family of God and makes us again one in the universe. To be baptized into Jesus is to be a true human being. To really, you want to find yourself, you find yourself in Christ. And forever, as all your other identities fail, whether it's a good lawyer, successful husband, or whatever it is, we screw those things up. Or being alive, if that's your identity, I'm alive. That fails too, doesn't it? This one never will. You are a child of God. You, will die, you, you have already died and risen with Jesus Christ in baptism. You will rise again. And this identity, being a child of God, is forever. And you can always cling to that, and you can always know that will never change. And one day, we will see a beautiful world where people will get along, 
where you will feel okay in your own body, where you will love one another and you will see that risen Christ. And all that's been deconstructed will be reconstructed as it was meant to be. In Jesus' name, amen.